Ryan Fagan is a sports writer, baseball Hall of Fame voter, joining us here on KMOX. I want to talk about a former Cardinals candidacy in Carlos Beltran, who uh, finished with 46.5% of the vote. It is his second year on the ballot. Is it inevitable for him, you think? I think so. You know, I think that he winds up in there. Uh, when you look at the combination of the power and speed that Beltron had, it really is, you know, he's he's elite. Uh, I really do think so. You know, obviously his involvement with the Astros cheating scandal in, in 2017, and not just involvement, but really one of the few people to be suspended for it, to face actual punishments for it because of his role as, as a leader in that. I think that has been a, a big stumbling block for a lot of voters. And I get that. I, I absolutely do. Um, but I think overall, when you look at his body of work, the success he had in the postseason, um, what he meant to the teams that he was on, I think he winds up getting there. And I imagine it's it's through the Baseball Writers Association, and he doesn't have to wait uh, for some sort of veterans committee down the road. What about St. Louis and Mark Burley? He finished with close to 11%, so he's going to be on the ballot again for next year. I know we were talking about long shots. It, is there is there a real case for Mark? I think so. You know, I, I voted for Mark the, the, the couple years he's been on the ballot. Um, he is, to me, a, a fascinating case, right? And I think the longer we get away from the old school mentality where everyone threw 250 innings, a year, and that's just what happened. And there were lots of guys that did that. You know, Burley had 15 years in a row where he threw, well, I guess 14 years where he threw at least 200 innings and then got real close in his 15th year. You know, that that just doesn't happen anymore, ever. So I think when the, the longer he's retired, the more of an appreciation we get for what he did and how truly just spectacular and outstanding his career was. And then you look at a couple other little aspects of his resume and you kind of see where he starts to separate himself. If you're talking about the best pitchers in the history of the game at limiting stolen bases, he's in the top three or four. If you look at pitchers who had control, who, who did all of these different things, you know, he is elite. He really isn't. You know, he's the only player in the history of baseball to have three games where there were only 27, he, he faced only 27 batters, right? His perfect game is no hitter and then a one hitter where there was double play. He's the only guy in the history of the sport to do that. So, you know, I think when you add all these other little things in to his resume, that's already uh, outstanding. I, I think he's worth it. I'm not sure he's ever going to get the support needed with the baseball writers association to get there. But he seems like a guy to me that by the time he reaches a veterans committee, and they look back at him, and in the context of what he was while he was playing, I think that resume is going to look a lot better. Ryan, what about the steroid steroid guys like the Alex Rodriguez's? Are they are people talking about them? Is they are they divisive? Where are we with that? You know, it's it's a great question. I, I think to me, uh, Alex Rodriguez is kind of in his own class. Right. You know, I mean, we saw guys like, you know, Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds. They didn't get there. You know, uh, Gary Sheffield, even though he had the numbers, this was his 10th and final year on the ballot. He didn't get there. He finished with, I think, was what, 60 something percent. Um, And he was only mildly connected to Mm -hmm. steroids. There was never an admission. There was never concrete proof that he did it. He was only mildly connected. 
and he was still held out. Um, so I, I'm just not sure, you know. And with with Alex Rodriguez, to me, the difference between him and a lot of the other uh, guys that have been connected is, you know, he he absolutely did it during the prime of his career, and he aggressively um, tried to go after people who said that he was doing what he did. You know, he had, the, the way he uh, tried to proclaim his innocence all the while cheating, the aggressiveness with which he did it, to me that kind of sets him apart. Um, I can't see myself voting for him, even though I have voted for other guys with steroid connections. Um, yeah, I'm just not sure A-Rod ever gets there. Uh, lastly, in terms of the um, Hall of Fame, or it's the last Hall of Fame question I have for you, Yadier Molina's candidacy will start in 2028. That'll be the first year that he is eligible. With Maurer getting in, does that make it a, a pretty much a shoe-in that, that Molina is elected and maybe even on the first ballot? Um, maybe. You know, I, mean, I, think, I think that Molina absolutely 100% winds up in, in Cooperstown. I'm not sure if it happened in the first year. It, it absolutely should. Um, I think you talk to literally anybody in the game, and they will tell you he, he belongs in Cooperstown, no doubt. The only thing with Maurer is he was just such, such a different type of player than Molina. You know, I mean, Joe Maurer did things with the bat that we've literally never seen from catchers. You know, his ability to, you know, hit for average and uh, his knack for these clutch moments. Uh, really was uncanny, you know, whereas Molina turned himself into a very good hitter, right? But he wasn't always that. Um, so it's a different kind of candidacy, but maybe, you know, in the sense, does Maurer open up the, the catching job a little bit more um, than it had been in the past? Because catchers are generally pretty underrated uh, in Cooperstown. Yeah, I think a, a little bit, but I think, you know, Molina would have wound up there whether Maurer got in or, or not.